Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here, as always, with the good and kindly Howard Tybal. And the good and kindly Pete. You're off the road a little bit. It's a holiday season. Are you, uh, are you getting a chance to relax? Yeah, you know, writing. Uh, that's actually something I'm doing more of these days. So I'm trying to have that become my, my, uh, my pastime for relaxation. So uh, this is a good time. This is a strange time of year, Pete. You know, with the, but yeah, I can't tell if we should stay at work right now and be unproductive or just go shopping. <laughs> Right. I mean, those. That's, yeah. Those are those really are the only two choices. The only two. Yes. Options. Uh, well, I. You know, I'll tell you. I'm excited for the show today. Are you excited for the show? Oh, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. Yeah. I, if you have been uh, listening to the show for some time, you know that this year uh, we kicked off an ongoing conversation around academics. Uh, as as we continue to peel back the onion of successful change projects and institutions, we run into this common refrain: that true success comes in no small part as a result of administrative leaders and academic leaders working in concert with one another. Our guest today is Dr. Ahmed Abdelal, Provost and Chief Academic Officer at UMass Lowell. Provost Abdelal has served as an academic leader for over two decades, including serving as Dean of Arts and Sciences at Georgia State and Provost of Northeastern University before landing at UMass. In addition to his numerous academic appointments and honors, he is a former professor in biological sciences, which among other things means that as we record this, Professor Abdelal is, I'm sure, relaxing as the rest of the institution prepares for fall final exams, we are exceedingly lucky to have just a few minutes of his time today. Ahmed Abdelal, welcome to Navigating Change. Well, thank you, Pete. It's a great pleasure to be with you on Howard. We're thrilled to have you here. And this comes uh, in no small part from the inspiration that you engendered in Howard. Howard, you attended a presentation at the Ikubo Annual Workshop uh, uh, not long ago, delivered by Ahmed and Joanne Yastremsky, uh, who's a chief business officer at UMass Law and immediately came back to the office telling all of us, we have to get Ahmed on the show. We just have to do it. What is it that yes. inspired you about that presentation uh, and, and Ahmed's perspective in particular that resonated so well with the work you're doing? You know, what it fundamentally did for me was, and, and Ahmed, this was the, really the first time I started bringing this language into my work. Uh, and I've always been aware of it implicitly, but not explicitly, as a sense of optimism. And that is in talking with Joanne in advance of that, saying how her collaboration with you is fantastic and how she thinks about you and what you do with the institution and how you how you work with her and then seeing you talk about some of the distinctions that finance officers should be thinking about i walked away and i started saying you know what maybe it really is possible with all of the negativity that finance people can hold uh I, I think superficially about their relationship with academics, maybe it's not as bad as many of us have come to characterize it. And and that fundamentally for me was the start of an even deeper willingness to get in there with academics. So so that was the inspiration, Ahmed, uh, for me in listening to you and some of your characterizations, in a sense, calling these finance officers in a very respectful way to the mat and say, listen, if you will work with you, but you've got to learn to better speak our language if you want us to be partners with you. Does that? So, so I'd love to hear your view 
you uh, of of this this idea of what you think the relationship is that you're building at your school, and, and you you've got such a long tenure, so you've got such a I think a broad view of when this has gone well and when it's gone poorly, and and I know our listeners would appreciate your perspective. Well, well thank you, Howard. Uh, I actually think uh, both the academic people and the financial people need to learn the other language. Uh, and, and so as an academic officer, I have always worked in educating myself about business practices and finance practices in order to be effective when I talk to the financial and business officers. So I think that's really necessary for the academic people. And reciprocally, it is also important for the financial people to really do the reciprocal thing, which is figuring out what our academic people concern about and really to either have appreciation for it or work on, on figuring out why is it important for the academic people. So it really does need to be mutually respectable and reciprocal from both uh, academic leaders and financial leaders. What, so, so here's a question for you. What is your historical perspective of why this has been challenging over the years? What, what, what was it... <laughs> You know, when you look back and, and the evolution of this process of moving to real collaboration, why is this so challenging, that, that relationship and working together? I think, uh, I think we tend to be competitive in any organization in order to rise. Uh, and so people who rise in organizations are not always selected for being most collaborative, uh, and I think that's uh, uh, an error in, in, in seeking and, uh, and figuring out leadership. So I think organizations work very well uh, when, when it has, uh, really starting with the CEO, it has to be a collaborative leader. And, and a collaborative leader then can work with the team, whether it is the administrative uh, or academic or budget uh, to engender uh, the collaborative spirit. Uh, but actually somebody who is not collaborative is going to have, is, is likely not going to be successful in getting more people to be collaborative. So mm. I really think it, the reason you don't see it all the time is because I don't think you have a lot of collaborative leaders uh, when it comes to large organizations. Yeah, and and that's fascinating. I mean, I love your 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 framing it, and I, I think it's the first time I've heard somebody talk about it in terms of the the concept of competition that we're sort of yeah. all that we're competing with each other to rise to the top, and then right. and we and we take our eye off the ball. And, and and my guess, Ahmed, is that the more we practice uh, the art of collaboration and seeing the fruits of that behavior, the more we're willing, willing to do it. But it's almost like this fear of giving up control. Yes, I I have learned really. I'm gonna claim early until you check my record. <laughs> <laughs> I I have learned early uh, that actually. You accomplish more by being collaborative. Mm. 
And, and so really starting when I was chair, but more importantly, when I became dean, I trained myself to be collaborative, working with other deans or with other universities uh, in collaborative projects. And actually, you don't need to have everybody collaborative. You just need a percent of the people uh, to provide that collaborative leadership. Then the whole group works. Uh, I love it. I was was just conscious of that from the moment I was dean, definitely. Uh, That that is is the only way that you're really going to achieve significant progress. See, see, it's interesting because collaboration is sort of a – a grouping of a set of behaviors, right? Yeah. So, so when you talk about you trained yourself to be collaborative, can you can you give us some examples of what that means? Like, what were you being mindful of? What were some of the things you would do or not do that would yeah. lead towards greater collaboration? Well, I think um, when I think, for example, uh, of the first uh, collaborative academic program that I provide leadership, provided leadership for developing. I was then chair of a department. And actually, when we got a group of faculty from biological sciences, which I chaired, and from another department, uh, chemistry, they got together and they disagreed pretty fast and actually dispersed, saying, well, we can't reach agreement. And and uh, and then actually the chair of the other department and I got together and said, well, what is it uh, which frustrated the, this group of faculty? And we decided that actually they needed us to be sitting there with them uh, to resolve what they thought were obstacles. And 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 this person and I. And we collaborated together for more than 15 years at Georgia State University successfully. Mm. Uh, but, but we provided uh, uh, the collaborative spirit to the faculty. And, and the faculty actually were ready to do that. But they do need the collaborative leadership. Uh, I was just going to say, I, you know, I mean, I, I too, I love the way you are framing this. We often think of collaboration as sort of a one-trick kind of, uh, uh, kind of, as Howard says, set of behaviors. But there is a flip side. Looking at competition as the flip side of collaboration is an extremely powerful uh, way to frame it, particularly because, you know— the administrative leadership, we say, oh, competitive, they're working up in, in more of a business environment. Competition is a natural outcome of, of these behaviors. But academics can be pretty competitive, too. <laughs> they are very and, competitive. Right? And when, yeah. when there is a habituated behavior, a competitive behavior, it really does take this this academic leadership. Can you reflect a little bit on, on the mechanics that you find you have incorporated into your leadership from the academic side that help to um, – help to sort of reinstate uh, collaborative trust? I I think usually it is figuring out uh, what people are disagreeing about. And and so if we are talking about faculty, but this can apply really to any group, usually you can figure out what is the areas of disagreement. Uh, And really, so so I think uh, a a collaborative leader needs to think deeply to figure out well, how could this be done collaboratively with benefits for everybody? And put that on the table. Uh, because sometimes uh, a group of, uh, any group of individuals, 
may not be successful in figuring it out while they are debating each other. Uh, and I really think uh, the collaborative leaders, uh, obviously you need two to collaborate at least, need to step back and say, fine, this, what are the points of disagreement? And what sort of compromises are possible that people will look at and this is win-win for everybody? And simply put that on the table, that that's one way of doing this. You know, it seems to me also, Ahmed, as you as you talk about what rises to the surface in, this, in these kind of dialogues is in, 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 the, in the facilitation I'll do when I've got academic administrators together trying yeah. to solve either uh, what are the problems we want to focus on, what are the priorities, what are, what are, what are some new, I mean, here's the tough one, you know, what are some reallocation of resources, right? So how do we think about that collaboratively? I I think the mindset that people walk into these conversations with is a win-lose mindset, right? If you win, I lose. If I win, you lose, as opposed to not letting them get ahead of the conversation. And and I I think there's there's an expectation that if you get what you need somehow it will be at my loss yeah yeah and and they don't de- and, and we don't help people enough deconstruct that it doesn't have to be like that at the same time there are times where we have to be willing to say you know what and tell the truth about it this is not necessarily going to be good for everybody but it's good for the institution yeah. Now, I think there are there are two relevant points here that, that I think are, are important. Uh, the first is that the, the leader, despite being collaborative, has to be ready to say that this doesn't make sense and or, or really shouldn't be uh, of a high prior, priority that we require funding it at the outset. So you have to be ready to say that, but you have to be diplomatic about it. So diplomacy is necessary uh, for successful collaboration, but it, but it also involves uh, making assessments and being ready to share uh, those assessments. But I think the other important uh, component of being for a group to be able to successfully collaborate, uh, I think the other important and necessary attribute is that there would be a collaborative decision-making process mm. at the outset, so that everybody knows that what they say is going to play a role in getting to the final decision. Which doesn't mean in the end that because you've raised an important point to you that the decision's going to fall in your favor, right? Yeah, no, yes. And, but, but what's interesting, when you watch people raise a point of view, like uh, too often I see uh, institutions saying, uh, let's ask the community what they think. But then they do, other schools will say, you know what, we don't want to ask because we're afraid if we ask people yeah. what they think, that means we now have to do it. Yeah, Which is I, I, not the yeah. case. No, I, I think actually I have, all, I have also tried to be a strong leader, a strong academic leader or institutional leader. So I have my perspective and I have my views and I, I advance those. But it's important to listen carefully to all the, uh, contribu- the contributors to the discussion 
And they have to rec- accept and recognize that you are listening to them. You may not agree with each other in the end, but you're not ignoring what they are saying and not thinking about it. Uh, that's really what I mean by a collaborative decision-making process. Uh, that if this is a group of faculty, they need to be confident that they had their say, but that, but through logical reasoning, the group is going to come to agreement. And really the role of the leader is to guide uh, the logical reasoning process. Uh, and, and actually, in my experience, people working at a university, whether they are on the faculty side or the administrative side, they all respect lo- uh, logic, uh, uh, logical reasoning, and they are willing to abide by it. Uh, and so it's important also for people to be respectful of each other. Uh, and so really the roles of the uh, leader for the group is guiding that uh, collaborative discussion, uh, making sure everybody is being respected and respectful, interfering diplomatically when necessary. That's right. uh, and sometimes it is necessary. Uh, uh, to say to somebody, well, maybe that's not a reasonable perspective, you know. Uh, but in the end, listening to people is the most important aspect also. Howard, how much, when you are working on, on change projects, projects like this, how much time do you spend uh, helping teams, as, as we say, make visible their own inherent um, uh, I, uh, not, not behavior? I, yeah, biases. Yeah. Uh, Again, what's interesting about that question is it really is a function of the leader who's brought me in. So, you know, you and I have talked in the past, Pete, about partnership and this idea of how do you partner with someone external to your institution. And I've had great partnership experiences and and mediocre, in some cases, lousy ones. And the great ones are when a leader knows, you know what, you have my permission, Howard, or your team, to help us really, as Ahmed just described, listen to each other. That the, that the, that the biggest missing piece is, and, and so for example, if I don't get the opportunity to raise this in advance, and let's talk about how we're going to work together, I will actually, in midstream, for, for example, point out to people near the beginning, notice how while things are being spoken in the room, what are, you, what, are, what are each of us mostly doing? And nine times out of ten, everybody in the room is recognizes they're waiting to speak. And what I'll point out to people is if what you're doing is waiting to speak, you are not listening. So there's a certain kind of mindfulness that if they don't come in with that perspective and, or if the leader doesn't introduce that idea, I, I will find, find ways uh, to bring that. But it, it starts with what Ahmed talked about, which was respect. You know, it, 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 all, it takes one faculty or one administrator to demonstrate through language a, a, a certain kind of disrespect for the other side yeah. Yeah, that can cause a conversation where people just don't listen to each other. Well, you know, I find that really fascinating. Before we started uh, recording, Ahmed had 
just started talking a little bit about the mechanics of the leadership team that he's a part of at, at UMass Lowell. Uh, Ahmed, I wonder if you could uh, share that with uh, our listeners as you, you talk about kind of the mechanics of, of day-to-day institutional leadership and how uh, you all have uh, sort of achieved that equilibrium behind uh, creating an environment for healthy debate and, as Howard says, mindfulness. Yeah, I think in our case, it started uh, with that chancellor, uh, who's in a sense the CEO for the organization, uh, who recognized that the collaborative approach is very important. So he looked for, for individuals whose records show that they are capable of collaborating successfully. And then he enunciated that we need to work together collaboratively but since he also looked for team members who actually were recognized for working collaboratively in their previous positions, uh, then he has a lot going for the team. And really from there on, uh, so, so we have a chief financial officer, Joanne, and then we have a chief administrative officer, other administrative things. Uh, her name is Jackie. And, and then uh, I as provost. And then we have the chancellor. Uh, then we have two other positions who are very important for the organization, but they don't get engaged in all the uh, discussions that has to take place about the business practices and the budget and so forth. Uh, so really, we know that we need to come to agreement in order to move forward. Otherwise, we would actually have to debate it. And, and and that which is less fun, you know, because we have to debate it, <laughs> debate it with each other, and we have to bring the chancellor in it, which is brought not less, which is less fun for him and for us, you know. Right. Uh, and and so, so really, we have a reward here. The reward is that uh, if we can come to agreement, then we can move forward. So so, but this is what strikes me, Ahmed, as you say this, and this happens so often in the kinds of dialogues and, and, and when we bring people into the conversation is that part of our reflection of success almost always comes back to this question of leadership. And then, then I'm, in, I'm reflecting on a provost or a business officer listening to this or a director or associate vice, vice president or, or chancellor listening to this going – we don't have that on our team. So one of the challenges that I think we face, that our institutions face, is in many cases we have the people we have, right? Yeah. yeah. And we have to work with the people we have. Now, one of the things that you've articulated is the chancellor was very intentional about the kind of people we want on our team. The dilemma I find, this is partly, I think, why I'm in the, I, I do the work that we do, is that more often than not, we're dealing with, with a lack of collaborative leadership. And the question for team members, whether it's the cabinet or whether it's a, uh, people reporting up to members of the cabinet, what do they do about that in the absence of leadership? And it's a dilemma because I think you're right. If, if you're not, the message from the top has such a strong pull. But, for example, at your school, if you didn't have that kind of support from the top, I would imagine it would make your collaborative style not nearly as effective. No, this is absolutely accurate. But I also hasten to add, 
this is in, in, in many ways this is the ideal situation uh, when when you have a a complete understanding of the importance of working collaboratively but actually I have worked uh, in various positions and sometimes uh, if the collaborative spirit is not really prevalent throughout the institution, you can still have a segment of, of the leaders collaborating. Uh, and so individual, really just two individuals, can start a collaborative uh, framework that impacts what they do and their responsibilities, even if the entire team is not working collaboratively. Uh, I mean, I described the example of as a chair working with another chair of another department. Well, all chairs at that uh, institution uh, when I was at Georgia State didn't work collaboratively, but any two chairs can actually work collab collaboratively and be successful and accomplish more than they would if they didn't collaborate. So the incentive for collaboration, the point I'm really trying to make, the incentive for collaboration is always there. Because all you really need to be successful is to have one other person in a position of leadership that is ready and willing to be collaborative. That's excellent. That's such a good way of reminding us that we can't sit around and wait for our bosses to change, right? Uh, absolutely. That we have... Yeah. Uh, you know, there there is so much more we could be talking about, and, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do this again because I, I have a, so many more questions and, and even things I'd like to tease out from you. But, you know, as we move towards sort of wrapping this up, you know, so he, so here's a, a final question and thought. You know, it's here we are coming up in 2015. There is There is more change in the air in higher ed, at least in the way it's being characterized in the media. Yeah. You know, when you, when you think about higher ed at this point in time, your career and how what you're doing now, I think what I'd love to hear from you, and I, I just think it would be interesting uh, and important, is what are you most excited about looking for? forward you know as you look forward into uh higher education your work what what is it that really gets you most uh engaged looking forward into what's next for higher ed and what's next for you at umass lowell yeah i, I think uh, i and my colleagues here have been focused on four or five key goals uh, student success and how to enhance that uh, having significant international uh, partnerships around the world, because uh, I think that's really an important role of higher education institutions, uh, and, and responding to workforce development needs and being connected to economic development of the region that we serve, uh, and, and, and seeing progress in these areas uh, gets, us, gets us excited. And, and uh, we actually had the, the courage some six years ago uh, to say we're going to put out a report card. Uh, and, and if you actually look at our website and say report card, you, you will get a, a six-year report card which shows metrics in each of these areas uh, that I mentioned. So what has been a, a great uh, driver for us is every time we succeed in enhancing student success or enhancing diversity of the undergraduate student 
population we have or getting international uh, success, all this gets us more excited about the next phase of work. Uh, so, so really, in a sense, assessing uh, progress uh, is another important aspect that many educational organizations don't do. Uh, to be able to actually say, here, is, here are our goals and here are the metrics uh, that we can use to measure our progress. And we're going to be confident enough of ourselves to publish these even before uh, we realize them. And, and I think just that is a great motivation uh, for an institution. Uh, I think it is true for us that it motivates the faculty, the professional staff, um, the students also get excited about it, uh, that the institution is realizing uh, steadily uh, its goals. Uh, so, so, so I think that, that really is, is what is exciting, is figuring out how our institution can be excellent and, and what are the metrics and making progress in, in these. That is a, a, a wonderful way to, to sort of share your confidence uh, in your own progress. I'll absolutely share the link to that, uh, uh, to that, that website and, and uh, in our show notes. So uh, make sure you check the show notes, everybody listening at uh, tybelink.com, and, uh, and uh, get an idea of what is going on at UMass Lowell that, uh, that is making this partnership so strong. You know, I love this discussion in particular, this framing of competition and collaboration of measurement and metrics, uh, and, and that we're continuing to surface this critical, the critical importance of academic and administrative partnership in leading the institution. And this, this isn't just about uh, dealing with complex change, but it really is about successful daily operation and, and the steady march toward our goals. It's just a wonderful conversation to have. UMass Lowell Provost Ahmed Abdullah, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. Well, thank you very much. It, it was a great pleasure to be with you, Howard and, and Peter. Yeah. Howard, thank you, uh, as always, for your uh, your wisdom. And, you know, you're a shining light in my dark sky. Oh. <laughs> he, Ahmed, he just does this to make me blush. <laughs> Uh, no, this is this this Ahmed is important. Uh, more and more, I, I think it's important we put academic leaders front and center. Uh, your presence for business officers was an example that does not happen enough uh, and and vice versa for business officers to step into arenas where academics live and l learn an appreciation of each other. And that's where this is going. I think the schools that are going to shine in the next five to 10 years are those that have figured out how to truly collaborate versus just cooperate you know, Absolutely. it's easy to cooperate. It's yeah. not so easy to collaborate. So, yes. so, so again, I'm, uh, I'm very excited about uh, sort of continuing this dialogue with you, and hopefully, we can have you back on the show. Absolutely, we'll be happy to do so. In the meantime, uh, head over to Tybal Inc., everybody, and uh, you can catch up with all of the um, of our past shows. You can subscribe to Navigating Change in iTunes. Make sure you don't miss a single episode, and uh, you know, reach out to us on Twitter at Howard Tybal if you want to reach straight into the brain of the good Howard Tybal at Pete Wright. If you'd like to uh, talk to me, send us your thoughts and ideas. We'd love to hear from you. If you have show ideas or uh, recommended institutions you'd like us to, to uh, talk to, we'd, we'd love your thoughts and insights. So, on behalf of Provost Ahmed Abdullah and the goodly, kindly Howard Tybal, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week on Navigating Change.
the podcast from Tybal Inc.